Imagine being able to listen to a Chaldean priest whose ancestors are originally from Babylon of Mesopotamia. Well, wait no longer. You're listening to him. Happy Easter, everyone. I wanted to think about the cheesiest way to start my podcast, and that was the best I was able to come up with. So, yeah, there it is. All right, let's get started. I hope everyone had a great Holy Week. I myself, I think I'm pretty much recovered from Holy Week. Heard hundreds and hundreds of confessions, celebrated many masses, but it was really nice to see the community all come together during this time of Easter, and thank God everything went well. Like I said, I'm pretty much recovered, so that's that. And now I'm getting ready to finish up the rest of my quarter at Catholic University of America. As I told you before, I'm studying to become a canon lawyer there. So with that and all of my parish responsibilities, so you can say I'm pretty busy, but God provides, thank God. And today, I, no surprise, I want to talk about the resurrection. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about the nature of the resurrection and what it is and what to make out of it. So this could be very applicable to anyone who is non-Catholic and could bring a lot of clarity to all those who are Catholic. Because sometimes we may come across Easter and the resurrection of Christ in, you know, a, a very basic and moderate way of knowing, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. So this podcast is meant to underscore what it means that Jesus rose from the dead and what we make out of it. And in the beginning, I'm going to sort of talk about the nature of resurrection, because I know throughout the centuries, the resurrection of Jesus has been disputed. But I'm just going to start off there, where I want to mention that there's this great debate that I want you all to please read. It's a debate between William Lane Craig and Bart Ehrman, and you could find this by simply Googling the Craig and Ehrman debate on resurrection, and I'm sure you'll find it right then and there. Please read it. It draws a lot of very interesting points as to whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. If Jesus truly resurrected when he was put in that tomb, and one of the main things they talk about is distinguishing between the theological and philosophical arguments of whether Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And just a few points to mention, and they mention this throughout the, the debate, is a few points are, who was the first person to, to witness the tomb being empty? The first person was Mary Magdalene. And why is that so interesting? It's because women, unfortunately, didn't have much authority during the first century, actually for a very long time. But especially during the first century, they weren't able to testify in court. They weren't able to vote on anything. They weren't able to, whatever it is, fill in the blank. They weren't able to do a lot of things. And what's happening here is Mary Magdalene is the first witness of the tomb. Now, if you wanted to fake the resurrection of Jesus, why would you have 
a woman be the first witness of the tomb. And not only that, a woman who has a very bad track record, right? We know there were many demons evicted from Mary Magdalene. She was possessed many times. She had a very rough past. Are you really going to make her the first witness? So I'll leave the rest for your reading. I think you're going to find it very interesting. If you have any questions, you can ask me on social media and we can discuss it there. But in any case, I want the backdrop of this episode to be a hymn composed by Mar Abba the Great, who was a 6th century patriarch for the Chaldean church. And this hymn is typically sung during Easter and it has such a beautiful melody attached to it that's been passed down through generations. But along with the melody, the words are striking and the words are supposed to be piercing to the human heart. And we're going to see that as we go through it. So it begins with, the head of the angels flew down from above, from above, vested in the glory of angelic kind. He rolled away the stone from the tomb in awe and awoke the guards in fear and trembling. Now, the beauty of this hymn, the way Mar Abba begins this hymn, is the head of the angels flying down. Now, why is that so significant? Well, if we want to turn towards the beginning of Christ's ministry, when he was tempted by Satan, one of the temptations for Christ was for him to throw himself off the pinnacle and allow his angels to catch him. And of course, Jesus didn't fall into the sin of pride and of the devil trying to sway him into using his divine powers. But instead, he responded to Satan, do not test the Lord your God. Jesus defeated these temptations. But what's happening here? Jesus is showing that he has dominion over the created things in this world. And the way he structures his plan it all comes together in a very harmonious way. So it's not until Jesus is resurrected from the dead where that angel comes down and removes that tomb at the very right moment. Not at the moment that Satan wanted, but at the moment that was right and that was fitting. And we see this throughout Christ's ministry. We even see this at the wedding at Cana, right? When Mary tells him the problem where the couple at the wedding ran out of wine and it was a big disaster. It was embarrassing for everyone that was there, everyone that was hosting the wedding. And he said, woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Everything throughout Christ's ministry was, of course, ordered to the cross, but he wanted everything to come in a very organic way. And we see this, like I said in the beginning of this hymn by Mar Abba. And then he continues by saying, To the woman he said, Do not fear, for our Lord has risen from the dead, as he promised, and is taken up in glory to the Most High. Come and see the place his noble body was. And lo, the linens are placed here, witnesses of his resurrection to the nations. Even though those linen cloths were the only witnesses of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Now we are 
2,000 years later as witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And the reason why I say this is mainly because of the sacraments. That's why the sacraments of the church are so crucial, because the sacraments are entirely what unite us to his resurrection, especially the sacrament of the Eucharist. That's why when Jesus says, he who does not eat my body or drink my blood has no life in him. When we partake in the Eucharist, we partake in his passion, death, and resurrection. Because the Eucharist is what allows us to live that reality of the resurrection. And it's such a beautiful thing. Pope Benedict XVI, he writes this in his Jesus of Nazareth series. And when he comments on the resurrection, he talks about how the resurrection of Christ is can be sort of misconstrued by the interpreter of his resurrection. For example, Jesus... His resurrection is not the same thing as, for example, when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that's fine, but Lazarus still died again. He had to die again because he's still a human being. But Jesus rising from the dead is different because death is no longer bound He defeated death through the cross and the resurrection. That's the big difference. What Jesus is doing at the resurrection is he's, like the scripture says, it's so beautiful. You see how we constantly go back to the scriptures and see all of this evidence. When scripture tells us that the veil, the temple was torn from top to bottom, Jesus does the same thing through our resurrection, where death is no longer relevant to those who resurrect with Christ. Because he's, like Benedict says, he's creating a new realm for existence. And that new realm does not have death included in it. And Mar'abba goes on to say, He was seen to Magdalene as a gardener, and she answered him according to her thought, Gardener, come show me the one that I seek, for the fire of his love kindles me, and I burn. So, let me stop there. What Mar'abba is doing here is he's sort of building up this anticipation of the story of the resurrection. But what he's doing more importantly is he's emphasizing this dialogue between Mary Magdalene and the gardener who was Christ, but she didn't recognize him at first. Now, why is Mar'abba highlighting this? It's because Jesus was highlighting this when he appeared to Mary as a gardener. Why a gardener? What is so significant about Jesus appearing as a gardener? Now, let's rewind all the way to the story of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. What was the role of Adam? What role and duty was given to him by God? He was given the duty to till and keep the garden, the garden of Eden. Now, who is Christ? Christ is the fulfillment and the very new Adam, fulfilling what Adam was incapable of doing. There's also the significance of Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene 
as a gardener. If you ask me, that's a very humble way to appear to someone after resurrecting from the dead, beating death, defeating the enemy, and you show up as a gardener. Why? After this very glorious couple days where Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, you appear as a gardener. Remember, the entire life of Christ didn't evolve around very empty and worldly things. It didn't revolve around things that are superficial. It revolved around humility. From the beginning of his life, when he was born in the manger, to the end of his life, when Jesus is hanging naked on the cross. And interesting enough, Isaac of Nineveh, who is a 7th century bishop of Nineveh, he touches on this in his fifth discourse on the aesthetical life. He says this, Acquire glory through the faith of your heart, that you may tread on the neck of your enemies and find your mind humble. Do not rely on your strength, lest you be abandoned to the weakness of your nature and in your fall, learn your weakness. Do not rely on your knowledge, lest you be surrounded by thoughts of secret stratagems and be confused. St. Isaac of Nineveh really hit this as a home run, showing that we cannot rely on our own strength or our own fake glory, but rather only rely on Christ through humility. Because relying on our own strength will always be disappointing and will always lead to failure. Because we come from a broken human nature where we are unable to rely on anything that we have. But when we live outside of ourselves through the strength of God, we're able to have that same humility. We cannot be humble without God. We cannot have strength apart from God. We cannot do virtuous acts without God. Everything that we do apart from God will always lead to some sort of destruction in our lives. And maybe we won't see it right away. Maybe it will take time, but it will end up happening. And then Mar'aba continues by saying, Our Lord answered and said to her at that time, Maryam, Maryam, I am the Son of the Most High. I have a strong feeling that Mar'abba added this line to put a strong underscore as to the relationship with Christ and Mary Magdalene. And it's, I mean, sort of funny the way he, he puts this, how Jesus answered Mary Magdalene, Maryam, Maryam, you know, repeating her name twice and telling her, I'm the son of the Most High. It's me. It's me that helped your conversion. It's me that was with you throughout the dark times of your life. And it's me that allowed you to understand what love and hope and compassion are. The conversion of Mary Magdalene is remarkable. This woman who has been caught 
in adultery, who was possessed by demons, who just lived a very uneasy life, was able to go through conversion through Christ, who is love embodied. And I want to turn towards St. Ephraim, who was a 4th century deacon and composer of a good portion of the Chaldean liturgy and was also a disciple of St. Jacob of Nisibis. And he says this in his works, The Hymns on Paradise. He says, In his justice, he gave abundant comfort to the animals. They do not feel shame for adultery, nor guilt for stealing. Without being ashamed, they pursue every comfort they encounter. For they are above care and shame. The satisfaction of their desires is sufficient to please them, because they have no resurrection, neither are they subject to blame. This is huge. Being reminded of the distinction between human beings and animals draws so much more clarity to what Mar Abba is doing here in his hymn, but more importantly, to the resurrection. Because sometimes we could really find ourselves being sucked into sin and forgetting that we are human beings and our actions have consequences and our end goal and vocation is to resurrect with Christ. And what St. Ephraim is doing here, and it's so harmonious to read these works side by side, He's showing how animals don't have guilt for adultery. But we see that Mary Magdalene was more than just her sins. She was a human being created in the image and likeness of God. And while everyone around her was treating her like an animal, Christ was treating her as a human being, which is why she became a saint, and which is why She was so eager to see Christ at the tomb because she understood everything he did for her. And she also understood the resurrection when Christ was revealed to her after his resurrection. Because we will rise with Christ if we believe and follow the commandments. And then lastly, Mar Mar Abba ends his hymn by saying, Blessed is the Lord who was pleased in this deed and completed the mystery of salvation. Blessed is he who rose from the dead in power and granted victory to all Adam's race. To him glory from every mouth and every tongue and upon us mercy and pity at all times. I hope this gives you a new perspective on what the resurrection is, and what to really make out of it. Because there's a lot there, and a lot we could learn from. And like I mentioned in the beginning, I encourage all of you to read that debate between William Lane Craig and Bart Ehrman. I think it will really help you understand, remember, Catholics and non-Catholics. Reading this debate won't kill you, it will only bring you closer to understanding the truth. And... Without further ado, 
the lion's den. This lion's den segment is going to be short and sweet, and I just want to make one thing clear. If you are able to go eat at restaurants, if you're going out to different supermarkets to buy groceries or whatever it may be, if you're going out and shopping, if, I don't know, you're just going out in public, then there's no excuse for you to not to go to church on Sundays. You must go to church on Sundays. And using the excuse of you're scared of catching COVID is erroneous. And the only person you're fooling is yourself. Because God knows the truth and God sees where your heart is. So, this is my episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, see you next time.